The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A warm welcome to Sportbox and what is an incredibly busy earnings day. Let's give you the figures. So Alphabet posts its biggest earnings beat since going public as lockdowns fuel online activity. Shares jump in after hours as Google Parent launches a $50 billion buyback. Microsoft also beating, but the shares do slip despite its strongest revenue growth in three years, with cloud services and PC sales boosting the tech giant's top line. Santander posts a net profit of 1.6 billion euros in the first quarter, as the Spanish bank says it's confident of hitting its 2021 goals and further reducing costs. Deutsche Bank numbers are through and the guidance looks a little flat on revenue going forward, but we'll get Steve to take a look at those in just a moment. We will hear from the CFO later on in the programme. Also coming up, the CEO of Dassault Systems and DWS, the uh, asset manager. We'll get into the numbers with them, as well as the CEOs of Covestro, Carlsberg and Electrolux. So Deutsche Bank actually getting a, a bit of a respite from the, the, the criticism of European banks recently. It's all been focused, of course, on Credit Suisse pretty much. Um, but you can see the shares. They close at 10.19, which is virtually, give or take a little bit, I have to be honest, double where they were at their low exactly one year ago, 27th of April a year ago. Again, give or take a day. They were trading just over five euros as well. So they have had uh, a decent sized rally. But are the figures justifying a return to fall? Well, credit losses in the first quarter, provisions, I should say, Four credit losses, 69 million euros. Uh, FIC, fixed income and uh, uh, sales there, commodity sales, uh, trading revenues up 2.5 billion euros in the first quarter. Net revenue, 7.2 billion euros. The CEO says these results give us confidence that we'll reach our 2022 targets. And yet, as my dear friend Mr. Cutmore said uh, in the headlines, Deutsche Bank says in 2021, group and core bank revenues are essentially flat. Is that good enough? I don't know. Uh, Core bank revenues are expected to be essentially flat. Well, given the huge amount of activity we've seen already in the first quarter, given that I've seen headlines already today about the vast amount of IPO and M&A activity uh, going on in the banking scene at the moment, let's just leave that question hanging there as well, because they expect investment banking revenues essentially flat in 2021. So banking revenues, core bank flat, investment banking revenues flat. How about private net revenues? Private bank net revenues are expected to be essentially flat. I'm underwhelmed, Karen. Good morning to you. Good morning. Well, if you think back to last year, and don't forget uh, a lot of the various areas of the business other than investment banking, we're actually seeing shrinking revenues. So flat overall performance might be a little bit of an improvement, which does take you to the point around the strategy. Was it the right strategy to, to refocus attention away from the investment bank? This is exactly what Christian Serving unveiled back in what, July 2019. But we've seen this incredible boom for investment banking on the back of the pandemic. It's sort of the wrong time to be winding down a 
a little bit of that operation, the market. You can see in the numbers today, 134% surge in investment banking, much firmer than some of the other numbers, which was still high granted, but that is the, the real standout performer. Investment banking revenues are going to be essentially flat this year. Um, I, I knew a man who once told me very wisely, and I'll come to him in a few moments' time, but before I say that Deutsche Bank's results at 7.30 CET, when we hear from the CFO, James von Moltke. Now, I know a man who once very wisely said to me, you can't shrink your way to growth. Now, who was that, Jeffrey? <laughs> well, uh, and we've seen that a lot in the past, haven't we, particularly in the European banking space. And I'm kind of with you on this rather than Karen, I think, at this point. Given the macro story, what we've heard from people like the IMF and from the ECB and others who've uh, projected this very serious rebound in 2021 from the pandemic-like conditions in 2020, you might have hoped that Deutsche Bank would be staking its flag in the ground and saying that economic activity is going to come in our direction. And that's the problem here. You had Credit Suisse talking about moderating activity in the second quarter for the capital markets business. So we heard the message there that they think that this may have been as good as it gets. But the suggestion that Deutsche Bank will not be able to up its revenue guidance for full year 2021 on the back of what is said to be one of the biggest reflation opportunities we've seen for the global economy since, oh, I don't know, um, 2007, then that is a little bit disappointing. And perhaps it suggests the focus is much more on continued de-risking and on uh, trying to gain market share rather than specifically trying to uh, expand the revenue opportunity per se here. And I think the fact that they've said that in all business lines is even more curious because, as we know, this has been a period where we've seen extraordinary outperformance in the investment banks on a comparative basis. And you might have thought some of that would continue, as I agree with you, companies look at further corporate activity, trimming existing businesses that haven't done well in the pandemic, uh, perhaps even uh, embarking on a little bit of M&A. Goodness, we, we talked to Novartis yesterday and they said, we're focusing on organic growth. But if there are opportunities, we might be interested here. I think you might have hoped that Deutsche Bank would have come out this morning and sounded a bit more ambitious on what they see the opportunity as uh, through the rest of 2021. I know we're going to talk some more about this, and I know we've got a terrific interview coming up with the CFO. So let me just move on and talk about another business uh, whose CFO is going to talk to us, DWS. Of course, it was spun out of Deutsche Bank back in 2018 through an IPO. So there is a connection between the two businesses here. They've given us a, a breakdown on the numbers. So let's just talk about that. Net profit line in 169 million euros, adjusted profit up 39 percent, 249 million euros. The first quarter revenue up 21 percent to 634 million euros. They have grown assets under management. So let's mention that up another 28 billion here for the period which now takes them to 820 billion uh, under management for the first quarter. Um, the share price has, has had a nice, steady 
progression. If you look at a, a one year, a year to date, or even a five year view, I will just say though, they are still um, unable to retake what was their uh, previous uh, recent high over the short period they've been listed. Uh, back in February of 2020, they did get up to 39 euros. We're just uh, about a euro or so shy of that at the moment, guys. Excellent. And of course, we'll speak to Claire Peel, of course, who is the CFO uh, later today. That interview is coming up. Uh, well, she's actually the CFO constantly rather than just later today. Uh, that interview is coming up later in the show at 10 past 8 CET. What about Santander, Nice Karen? recovery there. <laughs> Santander has reported a 15% rise in first quarter net operating profit before provisions, despite challenges from lockdown restrictions and an uneven global vaccine rollout. Net interest income fell by 6% during the period as a strong performance in Europe and Brazil failed to offset exchange rate effects. The bank also said it is confident it will hit its 2021 targets and is also targeting further cost cutting. Alphabet shares have jumped in after hours trading after the search giant posted record second quarter profits and announced a $50 billion share buyback. Earnings came in at just over $26 per share, easily beating estimates, while revenue jumped 34% over $55 billion. Alongside its traditional ad business, revenue from Alphabet's cloud services and YouTube jumped almost 50% each, while its investment arms drew in a further $4.75 billion in profit. Meantime, Microsoft shares are trading lower in extended hours, despite the company beating estimates with its strongest quarterly revenue growth in three years, revenue came in at just under $42 billion for the fiscal third quarter, thanks largely to sales in personal computers and its gaming division. But analysts cited disappointment over flat revenue growth in its Azure cloud business. Let's uh, get to our next guest who says that despite the high valuations among the big Silicon Valley names, Alphabet still remains a compelling investment opportunity. George Alstein joins us, a global sector specialist at Schroders. George, the numbers from Alphabet were fascinating in the sense they had a little bit of the pandemic flavour about them in the YouTube numbers and the surge in the cloud revenues, but also a mix of the reopening theme around the bounce we're starting to see in search as the economy reopens. Just give us a sense of what you thought of those numbers. Sure. I mean, the numbers were great across the board. I mean, you saw an acceleration in most of the business in terms of the revenue growth. So sort of slightly flat year-on-year uh, -year growth rates in cloud, but still very good nonetheless, as you say, approaching 50%. Um, and the real surprise was the margin. We saw a blowout performance in the margin here. And whilst the company have explained that there may be temporary measures going on in that, in that number, it looks like we have seen operating leverage start to flow through this business for the first time in, in a long while. As I pointed out, uh, when the economy reopens, people start searching for very various businesses, uh, whether that's you know, restaurants and, and cafes that they may be going to or other businesses across the board. And this does bounce the, the search numbers overall. What did you think that we started to see in the early numbers, particularly from places like the United States, which are a little bit ahead of the curve on the vaccination program? As you say, so, I mean, there's two things in terms of what happened with COVID. So at the beginning of the COVID outbreak in March, we saw advertising revenues for Google fall about 15%. Um, and that coincided with not necessarily a reduction in search activity, but reduction in commercial search activity. So when you're when you're Googling symptoms of COVID, that necessarily doesn't come attached to, to advertising revenue. 
as, as you say, as we now go back to a world that's reopening, we're starting to see more commercial searches and even actually a change in, in consumer behavior. So the, the company themselves call out an increase in 80% in local searches. So rather than simply walking down to your, your local shops, you're Googling uh, effectively what might be open, uh, what the services are that they can offer. Uh, and that's seen a, a dramatic boost in, in, in commercial searches. George, I mean, these numbers look so great. There's a problem, isn't there? And that problem is that the regulators and politicians globally are going to look at it with lustful eyes and say, hang on a second. A, the regulators will say you've got too much market share. And B, the uh, strained exchequers globally are going to say we want a slice of that pie. Is that where the risks lie? I think you're absolutely right. I mean, this business model has network effects, which just means as, as it gets bigger, it gets better um, and it gets more profitable. So the, the, the real thing that stops this juggernaut is, is regulation. And if you listen to the call, they were very careful to try and temper enthusiasm about, about the growth and about the margin potential hit. Um, because as you say, no one wants to be seen to be making too much money, especially in, in, this, in this time of crisis across the world. But it's undeniable that the, the, the leverage here has flowed through because when you deliver 30% growth in, in search, there is very little incremental cost attached to that, and that drops straight through to the bottom line. So whilst you can protest that, well, there are one-off issues here in terms of benefits to the margin, this is a very profitable company. And you're right, regulators will start to look even further. George, I'm fascinated by the, the messaging coming out about cloud at this point, because we've seen stupendous growth rates around cloud for many companies that see this as a, an ongoing opportunity as we get increasing corporate digitization. It, what, what does the message um, tell us here about um, ongoing growth expectations then? Have we reached a plateau? And is the reopening perhaps going to signal that companies just sit back a little on those plans? I, I don't think there's... Anywhere near a plateau. Um, for me, the, the the entire cloud market has decades of growth ahead of it. If you think about the the global IT spend of around four billion, four trillion, even um, we're we're still very much in the early days of cloud adoption and, and the addressable market. All three players ha have to go after. Uh, in terms of Google, they they kind of reiterated this on this call. So we have seen an improvement in the margins, but they're still making a loss uh because they're investing heavily up front because they see the opportunity is so great in business and it's a very high fixed cost business right you have to go out and you have to build these massive data centers you have to hire very intelligent very expensive people uh, to deliver the kind of products that they want to so yes you you are seeing an improvement in the in the margins but this is no means we are this by no means we are reaching sort of maturity so we have decades of growth ahead we have a significant inflection in cash flows for google cloud to come as well by the line can I ask you a slightly broader question about um, where you think sentiment is towards growth at the moment? We've had a couple of interesting weeks here where there's been a big sigh, it seems, from the markets to what are extraordinarily strong numbers from some of these companies. Again, you know, talking about plateaus, have we reached a point here where market expectations are just so high around the base effect and the rebound on this quarter's earnings that it would take even more than this to uh, push broader indices higher? I mean, I think you're, you're potentially right in, in an aggregate picture, but on a, on a stock-specific one, as we can see from the move in Google shares today, right pre-market, sort of up 45%. Um, and this stock is, is trading on effectively 18 times ex-cash PE in 2023. 
to something that's delivering, I mean, if you strip out the one-offs, at least 30% earnings growth. That is a very cheap multiple from my from my perspective. And if you look at it on a cash basis, it's 4.5% equity-free cash flow yield. So if you can deliver that growth, your multiples contract significantly from here. Uh, and it's a, just a very compelling investment opportunity. You're right, though. There are some stocks at the, at the far end of the scale in terms of valuation that are producing very, very strong results and are not getting the share price reaction. But that's because the valuation is is, is baked in a significant amount of future growth. Whereas the likes of Google and potentially Facebook, as we come to uh, this evening, sit in a different camp. George, I want to get into that future growth a little bit because it does go to the heart of what investors are thinking about regulation for some of these companies, but also how companies can offset. And the offset, I think what we've seen from Facebook, which comes out later on today, has been this huge dive into e-commerce, trying to get around the regulation, trying to get around some of the technology that stops tracking, ad tracking. But it felt as though Google had a little bit of that flavor too yesterday, that PitchEye is, uh, Sunday PitchEye is going after the e-commerce side of the business. What potential does that have for Facebook and Google for growing their earnings? Sure. I mean, for Facebook, it, it, to me, it's pretty key. So as you've mentioned there, Apple have, have started to roll out their app transparency tracking framework, uh, which came on the 26th with iOS 14. And what that effectively does is it makes it a lot harder for any digital advertiser to track what users are doing across different apps and different websites. Now, for Facebook, by bringing commerce onto their platform, they they get rid of the need for that third-party data because they can see what users are effectively consuming on their own site. Um, what that means is that the, the advertising signal, the efficacy of, of the adverts that are serving you, um, continue to improve. So it's very important for Facebook to to bring more um, shopping on, onto their platform, and, and that's what we're looking for to, uh, tonight in terms of the, the numbers around shopping and, and how that's impacted the advertising business. And you're right, from Google's perspective, also they, they, they called out that retail was a very big driver of search. Um, they have been making changes to their, to their effectively their e-commerce offering on Google. Um, the, the interesting thing I found, though, was they did call out retail. They didn't call out any other verticals that drove their revenue growth. Um, so effectively, it must have been a blowout quarter for, for retail. And that we still have other things like travel to come back, which is very encouraging for future results for the company. George, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much indeed for your insight today. Good to uh, hear from you. George Olstein, who is the uh, global sector specialist over at Schroeder's. Well, coming up on the show, the Fed is expected to stand by its easy monetary policy later today. As the central bank says, the U.S. recovery is nearing an inflection point. We'll discuss. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com.
Welcome back. The Federal Reserve is expected to keep rates near zero and bond buying at current levels when the central bank delivers its latest policy decision today. The US recovery has shown signs of improvement. Well, some really big signs of improvement. Did you see the confidence figures yesterday? Enormous. Anyway, thanks to widespread vaccinations and heavy fiscal support, with the Fed Chair Jerome Powell saying the economy is nearing an inflection point. Maybe even beyond that now. But anyway, Steve Leisman has more on what to expect from the Federal Reserve. The latest CNBC Fed survey finds the Federal Reserve is expected to do absolutely nothing this meeting or this year, in fact, despite surging growth, growing fiscal spending and inflation worries. And all of that prompting growing disagreement between the street and the central bank. The first rate hike, according to respondents, is not seen coming until December 2022. That's three months later than we found in the March survey. The taper begins with a reduction in quantitative easing in January, one month later than the prior survey. But 65% say QE is not needed. The funds rate only hits half a point in December 2022. One area of disagreement is the Fed's refusal so far to alter its policy in the face of much higher fiscal spending from the Biden administration. 3% say the fiscal spending should prompt the Fed to raise rates sooner, 22% say it should reduce QE sooner, and 31% say it should do both. So 56% combined of our respondents say the Fed should tighten in the face of the spending spree. 34% say the Fed should stay the course. John Riding of Breen Capital writes in in response to the survey, it's entirely appropriate for monetary policy to take significant fiscal policy shifts into account. But the Fed is not doing this. Monetary policy looks set to be too easy for too long. Another area of concern, how hot the economy is set to run, sparking worries inflation will surge. GDP is seen hitting 6.5% in 2021. That compares with our December survey, which was forecast to hit just 3.6% before all the spending came through. In 2022, GDP rises to 3.6%, a little bit above the December survey, but still way above potential. Fed Chair Jay Powell has engineered a dramatically new way of running policy, one where the Fed no longer preempts inflation and it allows unemployment to return to rock-bottom unemployment rates. This survey shows the Fed has been successful at convincing markets it will do what it says. It's not convinced them, though. It's the right thing to do. Steve Leisman, CNBC Business News. Let's take a look at the market action. Now, plenty of corporate earnings to digest. And uh, one of the big moving stocks to the downside action on the back of numbers was Tesla. That had a big impact on the likes of the S&P and the NASDAQ. But investors very much, again, circling to the numbers that are coming out from the technology names. But also the Fed this week, as the two-day meeting began by the central bank, there's still significant nerves about what the policymakers may come up with in terms of exit down the track as we start to see better numbers on the back of improved vaccinations in the United States. And let's just take a quick look at uh, some of the other areas of the market that we saw then treasuries we did see the biggest daily jump in about two weeks and you can see this morning we remain around that more elevated rate of 1.63 percent versus uh, roughly one and a half that we were looking at before but uh, that said uh, the market is still off some of the highs of 1.77 percent that we've had so far this year this is the area to watch though as we waited out for the fed uh, i want to take it to the asian markets picking up on that mixed picture from the u.s markets you could see in the green for Japanese stocks, four tenths of a percent. Not much on Hong Kong and Shanghai Bailey in the green at this point, and the Australian market getting a similar size bounce to Tokyo. Right. Coming up on this show, we're going to hear from the Deutsche Bank CFO, that's James von Moltke, as the bank swings back to a profit in the first quarter.
Deutsche Bank swinging back into the black as the investment bank uh, part of the business strengthens uh, the bottom line. But the German lender says trading revenues could be flat on the year. We're going to hear from the CFO in a few moments' time. Santander posts a net profit of 1.6 billion euros in the first quarter as the Spanish bank says it's confident of hitting its 2021 goals and further reducing costs. Alphabet posts its biggest earnings beat since going public as lockdowns fuel online activity. Shares jump in after hours as the Google parent launches a $50 billion buyback. Plus, Microsoft also beating, but shares slip despite its strongest revenue growth in three years, with cloud services and PC sales boosting the tech giant's top line. So Deutsche Bank has reported a first quarter pre-tax profit of 1.6 billion euros. Now, that's its biggest quarterly profit for seven years. Really strong stuff and, and, and something to, 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 to draw as a foundation for future gains, perhaps you're thinking. But the results were driven by strong gains in, as Karen was saying earlier, Deutsche Bank's investment bank, which saw profit rise 134%, which makes it all the more disappointing that the group is talking in its outlook of essentially flat revenues, Karen, for 2021 compared with previous estimate margin low. Now, that's an uptick. But given what we've seen in a lot of banks and banks that would have been so much better without Archegos, it seems slightly underwhelming. Yeah, I wonder whether they're just running into some comparables now. It was a very strong year in many of these segments last year. And you start to come up against those much higher range numbers. Just worth noting the bank closures to 150 German banks and Postbank branches to close. OK, well, let's hear from where the revenue is coming from, from the CFO, James von Molker himself. So our revenues are up 14% year over year. And of course, most of that growth came from the investment bank. Uh, the investment bank is up 32% year on year. Also asset management, 23% year on year. Um, very good performance. But it's important not to let the, the strong performance in those businesses overshadow what we think is also excellent performance in the private bank and the corporate bank. We've talked about how those businesses are still fighting through the headwinds of negative interest rates but that we're seeing underlying growth in those in them, you know, more than offset or offset at least um, the interest rate headwinds. And so we're very pleased with the performance there. And on a pre-tax basis, both of those businesses improved their year-on-year pre-tax profit by over 90%. Let's talk a bit about the investment bank. So um, how did you manage to increase revenues um, and also be almost ahead of your competitors when it comes to the FIC um, space? Uh, you're right that we think we're we're in we're at least in line, if not ahead of our competitors, as we've seen so far in in the FIC business. Um, you know, it's a number of of different aspects. First of all, the, I think the excellent execution that Ram Nayak and his team have provided in in simply building the franchise, re-engaging with clients, uh, and and managing to the to the objectives that we've set. In our case, the, the credit business uh, year on year, of course, was very strong. Um, and so you had some mark to market losses in the, in the environment that we had last year and a, and a pretty strong environment uh, for credit this year. The what I'd call the macro products of FX rates and, and emerging markets, um, we have seen some more normalization um, through the course of the first quarter. Um, and so for us, it was, I think, a favorable mix and, and a, a very favorable year-on-year comparison in the credit business. Is that momentum that you have been witnessing in the first quarter in the investment bank, has that carried over to the second quarter as well? Well, the normalization that, that I see certainly in the, in the macro, macro areas has continued into, into the, the second quarter. 
Um, but the overall environment, I would say, is still reasonably encouraging. Um, pipelines are strong. You know, uh, corporate activity uh, is is still is still uh, encouraging. Um, we've taken the opportunity to to raise our guidance for this year for revenues in the investment bank to being in line with with 2020, um, and that reflects really the very strong first quarter rolling through to the full year but an environment where we, where, that we still think will be constructive. Have you been benefiting from the boom in SPACs? We have. We've participated in, in, in the, the increase in special purpose acquisition company activity in 2020 and, and, and particularly in the first quarter. For us, it's a business that we've been in for a very long time, and we've been a leader in, uh, in SPACs uh, for many years and, and are pleased to have participated in this, in this rise in activity. We think it's a product that will continue um, but of course, it's, an, it's enjoyed a, a boom in, in unusually favorable conditions. Let's talk a bit about, about risk management, because um, many other banks, especially the Swiss banks, but also um, some in Asia, did have major problems in the first quarter because of Greensill and uh, the, the hedge fund in New York, which went bust. So how did you avoid that? Well, I'd say, first of all, risk management is, is uh, and also, you know, strong frontline, first line um, um, sort of management not only of our client selection, but but of of the risks inherent in the activity that we do. Um, uh, we were we were not involved in 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 one of the two uh, cases that you mentioned. In, in the case of the prime finance client, we were, but our risk management served us well, and we were we had no loss, and were able, in fact, to hand excess collateral back to the client, um, and managed, I think, quite successfully through that through that situation. So we're pleased with how our risk management functioned. Of course, we'll always learn lessons and look for, for where there may have been weaknesses, but, um, but the outcome to us speaks to, to our, our strong risk management capabilities. Um, talking about targets, you've been saying that you've um, increased uh, the outlook for the investment bank, but how is it for the overall bank? Because you would clearly overachieve the targets if we were to um, extrapolate the first quarter to the, over the whole year. Sure, yes, which you can't do. I mean, the first quarter conditions were unusually favorable, but, but it does for us give us real confidence in the, in the revenue trajectory that we described to investors last December. We think you know, at this point all of the businesses, all four core businesses, are ahead of the revenue trajectory that we were planning for. It gives us you know, even greater confidence in the 2022 revenue um, number that we showed investors that is a, a key part of achieving our return on tangible equity target of 8% next year. And so it, is, it, it underscores, if you like, the confidence in that path, but also that we made the right de decisions and we've been executing well. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.